So this is week two of a, a short three-week uh, series of lessons that I'm calling Saved by Grace Through Faith. Each week we're, we're basing each message out of Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse 8, looking at the truths that the Apostle Paul, that the Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul presents to us within these, these words. If you were here last week, then you know the emphasis that we placed upon the truth of, of salvation. This week, we're going to focus upon the grace of God, and then next week, yep, you guessed it, faith. Saved by grace through faith. And and maybe to begin this week, uh, to wrap up some of what we saw last week, this quote from Charles Spurgeon. I love this. He writes, I may know all of the doctrines of the Bible, but unless I know Christ... There is not one of them that can save me. Salvation is about knowing Christ. Not about knowing about Christ. Not simply knowing about Him. But knowing Him. Salvation is God's gift. It's God's gift to us. But it's a gift that we have to receive. We receive the the gift of salvation from God by submitting our life to Him in baptism. Baptism is not a work. Baptism is an act of obedience. The work is the work of God because it's the God of our baptism that saves us. And so building upon all of those things that we considered last Sunday, specifically salvation, this week we're going to turn our attention toward the, the grace of God. And what I'd like to do from the very beginning is just to lay all the cards on the table and to acknowledge that the grace of God is a concept that we struggle with. I'm just going to make a blanket blanket statement for everybody. The grace of God is a concept. It's a doctrine. It's a truth. Doctrine means teaching. It's a teaching. It's a truth. The grace of God is a concept that we struggle with with maybe more than just about any other concept in the bible grace is a it's a truth that we find difficult even to place into words but once experienced once grace is experienced there's no mistaking what it is god's grace is connected to our forgiveness there There's no salvation without forgiveness. And there's no forgiveness without grace. And grace, grace is like salvation. It is the gift of God. It's like God's love. It's it's a quality of God that He shares with us. Even though we don't deserve it. That's what makes it what it is. I had a professor, Dr. Bill Grasham, and he would oftentimes talk about Grace in the Old Testament. And I'll have to acknowledge to you, the first time I heard him say it, it didn't make sense. What do you mean grace? Grace in the Old Testament. And yet when we begin to pay attention to the doctrine and truth of grace, 
from Genesis all the way through the Bible, from, from table of contents to maps in your Bible, we begin to see grace throughout the entirety of the story of God. And that's what Dr. Grasham meant by grace in the Old Testament. It's, it's who God is. It's what God does. It's the truth of God, and God can't be contrary to Himself. And yet sometimes, I don't know, maybe our concept of God is, is so skewed that we think that we have this God of grace that we find in the new covenant we have this god of grace that we find in in the gospel of jesus and somehow somehow maybe god had a change of heart that there's the god of the old testament there's the god of the new testament there's there's the god of mercy i mean the god of 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 mercy in the new testament the god of wrath in the old testament that somehow you have this god of judgment in the old testament and all of a sudden he found jesus and now he's a god of grace and that's just, not, that's just not who God is. All throughout the Bible, God is a God of grace. Think of Adam and Eve in the garden as in, in Genesis chapter 3 as they rebel against God, as God had said to them, you can eat from any tree at all in the garden, just not this one. And what's the one that they eat from? This one. And God could have, God should have just, it would have been so much easier for all of us, right? There wouldn't be all of us. I mean, God could, if you eat from the fruit of this tree, you shall surely die. God could have easily just, and just took them out. But he doesn't. As a matter of fact, even though Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden, what is the very first thing God does after their rebellion? After they realize that they're not clothed in their newly fallen state. What's the first thing God does? He makes them clothes. Because He's God. And He's the God of grace. I can't think of that concept of God clothing Adam and Eve without thinking about how we are clothed in Christ. Grace. We're clothed in Christ in baptism. It's God's grace. Grace is a relational concept. It's in and through God's grace that He does not hold against us those things that we deserve for Him to hold against us. Because of His grace, He does not treat us as we deserve. And He offers us, instead, He offers us the Gospel of Jesus. Rather than God's wrath, He offers us the Gospel. But the concept of grace, it's still one that we, that we wrestle with, perhaps more than any other. Uh, our primary text that we're focusing upon is found within the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians, Ephesians above and beyond anything else, Ephesians is a letter that's characterized by unity. It's a letter that calls God's people to be one, to be unified. In spite of and because of our differences, we are unified. We are one in Christ because greater is the one that unites us than the things that that divide us. That's what Ephesians is about. And so it makes sense also that not only is Ephesians a book about unity, but it's a book, it's a letter about grace. Because we cannot have unity without grace without being a people of grace. Look to these verses from the letter of Ephesians quickly in regard to the 
to the grace of God. All of our passages today are going to be found on the, on the screen. In verse 2 of chapter 1, as he begins the letter, he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. Verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Three times in the first seven verses. Chapter 2, verse 5, God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Verses 6 and 7 of Ephesians 2, And God, He raised us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, our theme verse, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Chapter 3, verse 2, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me. Paul says, you know my story. You know where I'm coming from. You know what I've done. You know who I was. The difference between who I was and who I am? God's grace. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all of God's people, this grace it was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Chapter 4 and verse 7, stick with me. But to each one of us, grace has been given. And then the final verse of the letter, chapter 6, verse 24, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Grace is a truth from and a quality of God. That God is the God of grace is God in keeping with who He is. Like salvation found in the Gospel, His grace is a gift. And like all gifts, it's a gift that has to be received. It's to be received not only to secure salvation, but also that we might be a people who are defined by grace in every way. Grace offers forgiveness. Grace offers the capacity to start over. Grace offers the ability to start again again for wrongs that we deserve to have held against us, not to be held against us. That's grace. The grace of God that He and He alone grants to us provides a beautiful avenue for redemption and salvation through the Gospel. These truths, all all facilitated by this quality of God called grace. And yet, again, it is a quality of God that we wrestle with perhaps more than any other. These verses again from Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, but when the kindness 
and love of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. Not because of righteous things that we had done. But because of His mercy, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He saved us not because we're worthy. Not because we earn, we've earned or deserved salvation. He saved us because of His grace, because of His kindness. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. He's, he's pointing us toward baptism. Verse 6, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. God is the God of grace. Grace is God reaching to us. That's what grace is. Grace is, is God reaching to us. Faith is our reaching to God, but grace is... Grace is God reaching to us. And in grace and faith, they, they go together. Grace and faith, they, they go together like, like peanut butter and jelly. You know, they just, they just, go, they just go together. Like, like peanut butter and, and, and chocolate. You know, they just, they just go to, together. Like peanut butter and bananas. I guess peanut butter kind of goes with everything as far as I'm concerned. Either that or I'm just hungry. But gra- grace and faith, they just, they just go together. You can't, they, 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 they work together. It's the design of, of God. And, and grace is God reaching to us. Faith is our reaching to God. Faith is trusting God. And the overwhelming grace of God is poured out upon us. Through the gospel of Jesus. The result of which, when we receive it, when we have hearts that are open, the result of which is not only salvation and forgiveness for us, but that we might be a people fueled by and a people that are formed by grace. Because we are saved by grace through faith. You tracking with me? God is, is the God of grace. He bestows grace upon us so that we might be a people of grace. And we can't talk about grace without talking about what requires it within us. And that's sin. Sin separates us from God. Sin has got to be acknowledged for what it is and for what it brings. Because what it brings is spiritual death and separation from God, if outside of covenant relationship with God. But the result of our receiving the gift of the grace of God, it must be that we behave like and become a people that are characterized by grace. It's not enough for our God to be a God of grace. It's not even enough that we would receive His grace. Think about how selfish it would be if we kept all of this to ourselves. But God's call upon our lives is that we would be a people of grace. The Gospel affirms, the Gospel demands that there is no one who is too far gone for God. And no one knows it better than us. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 1, verses 
verses 12 through through 17, I think for time's sake, let me just read verse 15. The Apostle Paul, he says, here's a trustworthy saying. Deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am the worst. Here's a trustworthy statement, Paul says. No one needs the grace of God more than me. You see, we rest in God's grace. We find rest and we find comfort in the grace of God because God's grace and His forgiveness are what we need. We require God's grace. We all need the grace of God. It's God's grace that offers us salvation. Were it not for God's grace, were it not for the grace of God, there would be no salvation. There would be no gospel. We're saved by grace through faith. This is not from us. It's the gift of God. Let me ask you, if if we can just be vulnerable for a minute with God and with each other. I'm, I'm thinking about, as the Apostle Paul writes what are referred to as the pastoral letters. In particular, as the Apostle Paul is writing in regard to the qualifications of elders. Think about this. Paul, he writes in regard to who would be a shepherd of the Lord's church. And one of the designations that he gives, one of the statements that he, that he pins, that he, one of the statements he makes, is that an elder must not be given to much wine. Think about that. I've always thought that was a funny way of saying that, that an elder must not be given to much wine. He can be given to a little bit of wine, but not much wine. Just a funny way of saying that, but I want to I think about that idea that an elder must not be given to much wine. What that statement communicates to me, the way I understand that statement from Paul, is that there were those who were a part of the first century church who were indeed given to much wine. Is that what you hear? Now, Paul is saying, don't make them elders. But just in that statement, I think one of the things that he communicates in that is that there were those who were a part of the church who were indeed given to much wine. They struggled with a sin, and that they were still regarded as a part of the church. Because what they required was grace. And what they were given was grace. Grace from God and grace from God's people. And it's cliche, I know, but I believe it to be true that the church is a hospital for sinners. It is not a museum for saints. And so if you wrestle with sin, you are welcome here. What better place to wrestle with sin other than the household of faith? Now, I do believe there is a difference between wrestling with sin and having given ourselves over to it. Just accepting that that's who we are, that there's no changing, there's no transformation possible. Just giving ourselves over, that's just who who I'm supposed to be. The Christian life is not a life that is void of sin. 
the Christian life may very well be one that wrestles with sin every single day. But do we wrestle with it? Or have we given ourselves over to it? Because eternally, that that wrestling with sin, that may very well be the deciding factor for God between heaven and hell for us. But we are a people who require grace. All of us. We require grace. And I think too often our pride and our arrogance have kept us from acknowledging that. I once had a guy told me, tell me that uh, he could go days without sinning. I said, good on you, dude. Tell me, about, tell me about days three and four. We're a people in need of grace. If you're an alcoholic, you're welcome at the Eastridge Church of Christ. If you're a drug addict, you're welcome here. I hope you know that. Now, do not look to Scripture to affirm those choices. It's quite the contrary. But please know to the best of our ability, we will support you. The church is a hospital for sinners. It's not a museum for saints. And we are a people of grace because we serve the God of grace and we each require grace. Let me take a topic from today's headlines. Homosexuality. Just wanted to see how quiet everyone would get. If you struggle with same-sex attraction, you are welcome here. If you are gay, you are welcome here. Please know that a way of life that engages in the practice of homosexuality is contrary to the will and the Word of God. And will always be proclaimed as sin from this pulpit. Because we believe the Bible to be our guide in all facets of life and godliness. But you are welcome here as we journey together. If you're living with your boyfriend or girlfriend, if you struggle with pornography, those choices are contrary to the design of God. Know that the Bible the Bible's clear in regard to sexual purity. But also know that this church loves you right where you are with the goal of each of us who require grace journeying together to be more like our Lord. If you harbor hate in your heart for someone who is different from you, if, if you, if you say, well, I might be a little racist, your actions make you just as much of a sinner as someone who practices a little bit of homosexuality. Look to the Bible for your evidence. Well, Jason, that's just how I was raised. That's the, that's the family of origin that I grew up in. Show me one verse 
one verse in the Holy Word of God that gives you that cop-out. If I'm speaking truth, say amen. The Bible is clear. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible is also clear. Sinners do not inherit the kingdom. What changes that reality? The grace of God. And being found in God's grace. And sometimes, sometimes we categorize sin. Well, I, I may lie to my wife. I may lie to her about where I'm at and what I'm doing and who I'm with. But I haven't murdered anybody. Good on you, dude. Believe me, Satan would much rather you lose your eternal salvation, which is offered in the good news of Jesus. He would much rather you forfeit your eternity with God to small sins. If you're listening to the audio of this, I'm making some air quotes right now. Satan would much rather you forfeit your eternity with God through small sins than he ever would big sins as long as they get the job done. Because all sin is rebellion against God. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6 He asks the question, he says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And then do you know what he does? He leads the conversation toward a conversation of baptism. Grace. We need grace. 1 Corinthians 15, the latter part of verse 10, His grace to me was not without effect. Galatians 2.21, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing because you cannot ethic your way to God. Your righteousness is but filthy rags to God. You are only, we are only, only saved by grace through faith. Some of you, I know, know, some of you know what it's like to exist in a church culture which suffocated the grace of God. Some of you know what what that's like. That sort of view of a doctrine of grace, it comes from two ungodly places. Fear and pride. Grace was what weak-willed, weak-kneed people who simply didn't have sufficient ethic or theology needed. Somehow grace meant endorsement. Grace, that was what the denominations talked about, not us. And in the absence of grace, judgment was taught in its place. And on one hand, that that came from a place of fear. Well, if, if I'm open to God's grace, where might that lead? That same fear-based theology led us to negate the Holy Spirit as well. Am I right? And on the other hand, an avoidance of a doctrine of grace came out of arrogance and pride. Which when you think about it, is what God has kicked out of the garden to begin with. You shall be like God 
is just traded for you don't need God, you just need to try harder. And we are only, we're only saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. Only by the grace of God. The only, the only way you and I are going to see God face to face is through the grace of God. And that should give us comfort. Because it's all resting upon God. At the same time, His grace to us must not be without effect. We need God's grace. We require God's grace. And in return, as He gives it to us and as we receive it, we in turn are called to be a people of grace. We're called to be a people of grace both in both in how we view others and also in how we view ourselves. Because sometimes, some of us more readily offer grace to others than we will ever receive it for ourselves. And that's the tool of the enemy, not of God. Let me close with this quote from The Cost of Discipleship. I've read this to you before, but it, this is a perfect place to to cite these words from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a part of the resistance in Nazi Germany, killed at Hitler's command. And in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he writes, what, he writes what he, of what he terms costly grace. Costly grace. And he says this, Costly grace is the treasure hidden in a field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all of his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows Him. Costly grace is the Gospel which must be sought again and again. The gift which must be received and asked for. It is the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life worth living. The grace of God. The gift of God. God offering to us that which we do not deserve or merit. Our salvation built upon, founded upon the Gospel of Jesus and the grace of God. And I pray that we would leave here this morning further resolved to be a people of grace, a people defined by grace, a people who have received the grace of God, and a people who graciously demonstrate the grace of God in how we live. This morning, if you've not been baptized into Christ, it is what God requires of you to accept His grace. I pray that you'd come forward as we stand and as we sing.